And last week, uh, Michael and the week before, Gray did a beautiful job of linearly catching us up of the whole Old Testament as we dip into the New Testament now. So if you want to hear like a linear catch up, go back and listen to one of those messages. But I want to do something a little different to kick us off today. Because we can study God's story and how we're drawn into it. We can study the events that happen. We can study, like we did last week, the themes of God's character that we can count on. But there's something else we can study in God's word. And that is the people he used. And so that's how I want to catch us up on the story today. Before we get started on today's passage, I want to catch us up on God's story through some of the people that he used. Like Abraham and Sarah, God called him. He said, if, if you'll trust me and go where I'm leading you, I'm going to give you a land and a people and make a nation out of your family. And they believed him. They followed God's call in their life. But they also got impatient and ran ahead of God. So they were used in beautiful ways in God's story, but they were still in process. And then there was Moses. After much reluctance on his part, he did actually go back into Egypt where he was raised and stand toe-to-toe with Pharaoh and say, you are not a God, but I know the one true God, and he's come to get his people. And so he was super brave, and he was courageous, and he leaned into God, but he had an anger problem that came up again and again and again. So he was used in beautiful ways in God's stories, but he was still in process. There's King David. I mean, King David was unbelievable. Do you remember? As as a young kid, he, he defeated Goliath. He united the nation of Israel. He was a warrior. He was a musician. He gave us so many of words for God. He did all these amazing things, and he also succumbed to lust and lied to cover up his failures. So he did beautiful things in God's story, and guess what? He was still in process. There was Rahab, do you remember her? She was literally um, oppressed as a prostitute in an enemy city of of, of God's that he would take, but an enemy city of Jericho. She was oppressed and and hardened into the, the enslavement of prostitution. But she heard the story of God. She heard the story of what God had been doing for his people. And she took this little tiny step of faith with this little bitty faith she had. And and she literally was used by God to take the whole nation of Israel to begin to take the promised land. So she was used in this beautiful way in God's story, but clearly she was still in process. So if you're sitting this morning and you're wondering, could God use me in his story? Is God wanting to use me in his story? Here's your answer, yes. God wants to use you in his story. He's calling you into his story. And it is okay that you are still in process. As long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. Let me pray for us. Father God, your story is unbelievable because you are faithful when we're unfaithful. You are mighty when we are weak. You came after us, God, even when we were completely ignoring you and undeserving. Lord, as we look at the people 
that you used help us see our part, our place, the potential that we could maybe belong to you. Father God, would you teach us from your word this morning? Would you draw us close to your heart? We love you and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, John the Baptist is a cousin of Jesus. And he'd been told his whole life, surely, because he had godly parents that an angel had appeared to to say, your son who I'm giving you, John, you'll call him John. He will have a great calling on his life. And this is the calling that was on John the Baptist's life. The, the scripture says he will bring back many people in Israel to God. He will turn back the hearts of children to their parents. He will bring back the disobedient to the wisdom of God's law. It's said of John that he's a voice calling in the wilderness to prepare the way. Here was his whole call. To prepare the way for the Lord. To make straight paths for him. See, back in the day when a prince or a princess was going to a foreign land, they would send out slaves and servants ahead of them to quite literally make the path clear. To, to make passes that they could travel on, to fill in holes, to make a path so that this prince or princess could get where they needed to go. And that was the call on John's life. And when we pick up the story, he's in the wilderness. He's not in the city. He's in the wilderness. He's out. And, and all the people, because of the power of the Spirit of God, are being drawn to his preaching. So much so. I mean, the Bible twice says all the people, all the people, Hordes of people are being drawn to his preaching, and they're coming out into the wilderness. It's like God was waking up the stubborn and lost hearts of his people. So many people came to hear his preaching and asked that he baptize them for the forgiveness of their sins. That was John's baptism, for the repentance. Repent means turn around and go a different way. I need to turn my life around and do a different thing, go a different way. So many people came to be baptized by John that they said, are you the Messiah? I mean, are you the one? He said, no. I am not even worthy to untie the sandals off the filthy, dirty walk in the street of this one. I, I, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And John is preaching, and all the people are coming. And then here come the leaders of the church, right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were the leaders of the temple, not church yet, temple. And they come out because, why'd they come out? Because they wanted to look good. I mean, all the people were there. They were leaders of these people. And so they wanted to be like a part of this thing, right? So they come out, you know, in this group. Not all of them, but the Bible says a lot of them had completely lost their way. They weren't even teaching the people the truth anymore. Their hearts were hard. They were far from God. And they're walking out here because they want to be a part of this thing. They want to get the creds. And John looks at them and he says, you brood of vipers. Your heart is so far away from God. Just be gone. You can't stand on your Jewishness to belong to God. You, you leaders of the temple, need to repent and be baptized and come back to God. Brood of vipers. And then he looks up. Scripture says that the, he sees Jesus walking towards him. And he literally says, behold the Lamb of God. Behold, pay attention, 
give glory because God's doing it now. It's now. He's come, and now's the time. Now he'll step into showing us the way. Behold the Lamb of God, and he points to Jesus. And then the craziest thing happens. Jesus comes to him. Remember, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, right? And so Jesus comes to him, and he says, John, baptize me. So John looks at him. He knows who he is. He knows he's the Lamb of God. He knows he's the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Christ, and he's confused. Jesus, I can't baptize you. I, he looks at me and says, what are you doing in my place? And what am I doing in yours? He's utterly confused. He says, whoa, what am I doing in your place? And what are you doing in mine? And Jesus tells him. Jesus replied, let it be so for now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. What did he mean? Jesus meant right now, this is what needs to happen for all of us to be made righteous, to be made right with God so that you and me, broken, hard-hearted people, can be brought back to God. He said, I'm on a mission. I'm going to repent because you should repent. I'm going to repent in your place. I'm going to live the way you should live. I'm going to fulfill the righteousness you can't. I'm going to ultimately die in your place and never ever forget this part. I'm going to resurrect, promising you eternal life when you are in me. I'm going to conquer death because you couldn't, and I'm going to take the curse and give you the blessing. I am here as a substitute. He says it right from the very beginning. And so John looks into his eyes and he, he essentially obeys. He baptizes Jesus and when he draws him up out of the water, it begins. It begins what he did that we couldn't, what he accomplished that we couldn't, what he came to do because of his great love for you. When they draw him up out of the water, it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove alighting on him. And we don't know. We don't know if the whole crowd, the Scripture doesn't tell us, did the whole crowd see it? Did, did Jesus and John, were they just aware that, that literally the entirety of God is there? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We don't know for sure. John later says, I knew the Spirit had come down, so at least Jesus and John were aware. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. So we know he's the Son. We know the Holy Spirit descends on him. So hold that over here. We know he's the Son. We know the Holy Spirit descends on him. But we also know something else of Jesus. He laid down his Godship to come. Listen to this in Philippians. Who, being very who, Jesus, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in what? The nature of a servant was for God to lay down his godship and be made in human likeness. So what does that mean for us? It means now that Jesus is resurrected and ascended to heaven, here's what it means for you. 
You have God the Son on the right hand of God the Father Almighty who gets what it is to grow up in this broken, hurting world. He laid down his godship. He, he walked around the earth as a, as a human man. He had a family. He had parents that he had to deal with. He, he had to grow up in the neighborhood. He, he, he learned a trade, so he had to work. He had friends. He, he got hungry, and he ate, and he got thirsty, and he drank, but without sin. Friends, what that means is when you pray, when you say, God, I feel oppressed right now. He lived under the Roman government. When you say, God, I feel betrayed. I mean, I am utterly betrayed. I am deserted in my life right now. His best friends walked away from him when he needed them the very most. He laid in the dirt and prayed to God, and his friends fell asleep. When they asked him if they knew Jesus as he was being resurrected, he said, I don't even know that guy. He was betrayed and deserted. You feel overwhelmed right now? He was so overwhelmed before the cross that he sweat blood. It's a medical condition of the most overwhelmed someone could possibly be. You feel unsure of your next step? He used to pull away from the crowds. The crowds that were asking him to heal him and teach him and please don't go away. He would sneak away to pray to the Father, tell me what to do. You, are you rejoicing? He had friends. He went to weddings. He had a family that he loved. He really gets it. So how do we hold those things together? What happens if we hold those things together? He, he laid down his godship and he walked and experienced his life as we do so that he might say, I know that I know that I know what you are going through. He laid down his godship and yet the Holy Spirit descended on him and he was the son of God. How do we hold those things together? We have to ask ourselves a question. How did he do the miracles? How did he do the miracles that he did? If he laid down his godship. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Listen to this from Acts 10. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with what? The Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. This might surprise some of you for me to actually just say this out loud this morning. The miracles that Jesus did didn't prove that he was the son of God. They didn't prove that. They, They pointed to it. They suggested that power was happening. What proved he was the son of God was the resurrection. If we look back over the Old Testament story that we told all the way since January, there's Elisha and Elijah and Moses, and they did miracles. How? Under the power of the Holy Spirit. They raised people from the dead. They multiplied food. They knew the thoughts of others. They changed weather patterns. Just because they were faithful and had more faith than you and me? No, because the Holy Spirit called them to do that thing called them to, at that time to have great faith and to obey what God was telling them to do. Why is that important? This is huge. Friends, God says the moment you step over with the tiniest little bit of faith. C.S. Lewis, one of the 
the great disbelievers in God who came to be a great believer in God said, this was his conversion story. He said, I went for a bike ride. He'd been searching, searching. Is God true? Is it true? I can't decide. His intellect was so great. He just couldn't put it all together. He couldn't decide. I went for a bike ride and I came back and I was a Christian. He doesn't know exactly when it happened, but something in his heart changed. He took this tiny little step over the line of faith, even with the doubts, even though he was still in process, and the Holy Spirit came into his life. So here's what I want to say to you this morning. If you, if you today take this little step, you know, I have all the doubts, I'm still in, you take this little step, the Holy Spirit of God comes into your life. And this is what the Bible says. The same spirit, wait for it, that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The same spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Friends, when Jesus was about to be crucified on the cross in our stead. He knew he would be resurrected back to the Father. He knew he was buying eternal life for those that believed in him. He said this to the disciples, I have to go, and they're like, what? These people had laid down their whole lives to follow him. They're like, what are you, you're the king, you're the Messiah, you, you can't go, you can't die, you can't die a criminal's death on a cross, what are you even talking about? This is what he said, it's better. At that moment, the Holy Spirit was on Jesus, but only if they were near enough to him to hear him and see what he did were they experiencing the Holy Spirit. He said, it's better. If I leave and you have faith in me, the Holy Spirit will dwell in you. Wow. So we don't have to have it all together. Jesus came to do what we couldn't. He'll empower us to walk faith in this life. There's one more thing that's important. There's so many things that are important, but one more thing I want to just point out this morning. One of my favorite old authors, I say old, he's passed away. I don't mean like he's old, um, <laughs> is Brennan Manning. And I appreciate Brennan Manning. He wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel. Ragamuffin, if you don't know, if you're not from the South, is a very Southern term that means as long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. That's what Ragamuffin means. And he wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel, and it's all about the grace of God. It's all about, I know you are still in process. And Brendan was still in process. He's one of the most fabulous teachers of the word I've ever, ever heard. And he struggled with alcohol his whole life. And he had, or his adult life, he had a friend that was an alcoholic. And, and one day his friend um, disappeared. And so Brennan knew. He knew that he had fallen off the wagon. And so he went down to Florida where he was, and he, and he went to look for him. He looked in all the bars he knew he'd been, be in. He looked in all the places he knew he frequented. And, and eventually he starts literally walking down the alleys of this town that his friend was in. And he starts going and into the alleys, into the homeless, and he's showing the picture of his friend. Have you seen this man? Have you seen this man? Do you know this man? He did this for a week, and he never found him. But one day when he was leaving the alley, near the time he was leaving the town, he sees this one guy, and the guy says, man, would you help me? And so he just gets the guy, and he pulls him up, and he gives him a hug, and he says, hey, man, come on. 
And he gets him in a rehab thing, and he gets him, he pays for it, he, he, he does all the things for this man that he, he didn't know, he'd just met. Then he goes home. About two weeks later, he gets a letter. It's from his friend. He said, Brennan, I was in that alley. I saw you, but I was too ashamed. I was too ashamed to, to come to you. But then I saw you pull up that stranger that you didn't know. And I saw you take him and get him help. And I felt the love of a friend that came for me. And I'm, I'm back in the treatment program. I just wanted you to know. I felt the love of a friend that came for me. That's the last thing I want you to just let sink into your heart today. Guys, sometimes we have to understand the heart of the Father if we want to understand how deeply we are loved. And here is the heart of the Father. He came for you. He came for you. Right after we sinned in the garden, way back in January, we tell that story if you want to go back and read it. We essentially said to God, I know better how to lead my life than you do, God. I I got this. I mean, you can come along if you want to, but I I need to like run this thing. Because I want to. I like the way Holly runs it. I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. That's sin. That's brokenness. And right after we did that, God said this, the enemy will strike his heel, but Jesus, Jesus will crush his head. The enemy will strike his head because of what you've done. My son will have to die on a cross in your stead to bring you back to God the Father. Oh, the enemy will strike his head, but he will die and be dead, and the Holy Spirit of God will resurrect him. And so Jesus will crush evil right after we sinned he said i'm coming for you i'm coming for you and so god the son is being baptized god the holy spirit descends on him and god the father says these words this is my son in whom i love and with whom i am well pleased god the son god the father God the Holy Spirit. You know what God was doing there? He was quoting Psalm 2. He was saying again what he had already said in Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, all the Jews would have known it was the prediction of the Messiah coming. The Messiah will come, and I'm going to stall him as my king over all the nations. He is my son, and the nations will be his inheritance. And so when the voice said, this is my son with whom I love and I am well pleased, God was saying, remember when I said I was coming in the Psalms? Remember when I said I was coming in Isaiah? Remember when I said he's going to be wounded and striped and broken in your place? And you're like, that couldn't be the Messiah. Yes. Yes. Today it starts. Today it starts, your rescue, in person, today. So I want to end with this thought. What would it look like for you to take a step of progress in your pursuit of God right now? I mean, maybe, I hope that there are people in this room because they're only wondering if, if God is real. I hope that there are people here that feel safe enough to just be here to ask that question. And so... What does it look like for you to take a step of progress? Maybe you keep coming. Maybe you get in a community group. Maybe you go to the men's morning. You meet a couple guys, see if they're weird, right? 
What does it look like to take a step of progress? If you've been following God for a really long time, what does it take? What does it look like for you to take a step of progress? Maybe you've fallen out of community during the pandemic. Maybe you've gotten lazy about studying God's word. Let me speak the baptism of Jesus over us all today. God knows you're still in process, and he loves you endlessly. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He will empower you in this life if you ask him into your heart and ask him to lead your life. He will empower you to do what you need to do and who you need to be in this broken world. And and let this wash over your heart and soul this morning. Friends, my friends, he came for you. He came for you. And even in this moment, he's pursuing your heart. Let me pray for us. Father, sometimes we need to know that someone loves us enough to show up. First, Lord, would you make us those people? Would you make us people that show up? Would you make us people that lie down, lay down our lives for each other? even when it's hard, even when it costs us. But God, if there, is, if, if there is someone in this room this morning that is utterly lonely and feels utterly deserted, Father God, would you speak into their heart and their mind and their soul and say, I came for you because I love you endlessly. Lord, we thank you for the miracle, for the grace and for the power that you offer us in Jesus. Amen.